What is going on, friends? Welcome back to the Locked On Panthers podcast, a Tuesday edition here, brought to you by our friends, of course, at Pepsi, who want to remind you, of course, this season has been different, but Pepsi, of course, is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi, of course, is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it is made for those who watch it. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. What's going on, everybody? Billy Rossetti with you guys here from SI Panthers and host of other different uh, spots now, too, kind of covering the, the NFL in general. Bengals Wire, uh, Brawl Network. I'm actually doing an internship there covering the draft. So a couple of spots now hanging out. So a lot of fun going on here, but we're going to talk a little more, of course, about the Carolina Panthers, almost kind of like one last look back at the Lions game. We're going to look at the snap counts, kind of see how the rotation wound up going. And we're going to look at a, a couple new things. Well, one we used to look up because uh, we got uh, PFF back in the mix here. So I want to take a look now at how some of their players on both sides of the ball actually rank uh, in terms of uh, the different positions, just kind of a, a quick run through there, and just a quick look at how the Panthers are in terms of DVOA from our friends at Football Outsider. So a couple numbers we're going to look at here in kind of, we'll call it like an analytical day here, I guess, at the uh, at the podcast. So exciting stuff here. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about first the snap counts from Sunday's shutout victory over the Detroit Lions. So uh, we'll start by noting that there were 71 offensive snaps for the Panthers on Sunday, and five players played all 71 of those snaps, including Trent Scott. I believe this is the first time this season that Trent Scott ended up playing every single offensive snap for the Panthers, because we know, of course, there had been those you know, mixing players around at the offensive line, uh, specifically at the left tackle position. But now there are a couple other players that they're they were doing that with. Um, we saw a, a host of offensive linemen kind of get mixed in a little bit here. But uh, it was Trent Scott that played the entire the entire game for the Carolina Panthers. And as the as the website noted, and this is usually where I get my numbers from here when I do this, uh, Trent Scott became the first player to play every snap at left tackle since Russell Okung played all the snaps in week six against Chicago. So nice to kind of have a little bit of stability uh, for the first time in a while at the left tackle position. So Trent Scott played all 71 snaps, obviously quarterback P.J. Walker did, and as we said yesterday, did pretty well in those 72 snaps. Obviously, a couple of mistakes, but young quarterback, first NFL start, really first NFL action in general, save for you know the small number of snaps that he played against the Falcons in Week 8. But P.J. Walker was out there. Chris Reed, of course, uh, holding down that left guard spot. Matt Paradis at center. And then, of course, Taylor Moten at right tackle. It was the right guard spot where uh, the Panthers had a bit of a um, a change in plans, and that's because Dennis Daly ended up leaving the game early with a concussion, 
And it was actually Michael Schofield getting his first game action since week two. Remember, Schofield, of course, started the season at guard because of the injuries to uh, to Dennis Daly during training camp. Uh, but then between benching and being on the COVID list, we never we hadn't heard from Schofield in a while. Uh, but he ended up playing 43 snaps after Dennis Daly played 29 before exiting. So that's how the offensive line breakdown, or, or that's how the offensive line rotation ended up kind of shaking down. So Schofield ended up playing majority of the snaps at right guard in place of Dennis Daly. But again, the rest of the offensive line, for the first time really in a while, was pretty set. We hadn't seen this in some time. Again, especially at left tackle. First time in five weeks, as we said, we had somebody solidly play Every snap at left tackle. Uh, in terms of the wide receivers, uh, it was actually a pretty favorable number in terms of uh, the amount of snaps more that DJ Moore played over some of the other receivers. He ended up playing 61 of the 71 snaps, so 86% of the snaps for DJ Moore, down to just 70%, uh, 50 snaps. For Robbie Anderson and Samuel was right behind him at 48. And as as we talked about, it really was just kind of those guys in terms of the passing game. Because the, other than those three and then Mike Davis, who played 73% of the snaps, no one was really involved in the passing game. Now, Chris Manhurts and Ian Thomas both played uh, between 55 and 60% of the snaps and then Colin Thompson played 31% uh, 31% of the snaps. So the tight ends were out there, but again, as we know, uh, there was only one target between all those players, and that was Chris Manhurts. So really interesting there. Uh, and then they have the note here on DJ Moore played 86% of the snaps and finished with his seventh career 100-yard game. He's averaging... 87.3% of the offensive snaps, which is 12th most among wide receivers in the NFL this year. And then an interesting note here, too, on Rodney Smith, who they noted had six touches in the game's first 19 minutes, but then fumbled on his sixth touch and then wound up playing just nine offensive snaps. So he ended up... Kind of a bit in the doghouse, I guess, after that fumble. But got it, you know, got that early start, got a couple of snaps, but that was really about it. Uh, Alex Arma saw 13 snaps and, of course, had the target. Brandon Zilstra played 11 snaps. Again, nine for Rodney Smith, four for Trenton Cannon, and three on offense for Farrell Cooper. On the defensive side of the ball, 56 defensive snaps. And Jeremy Chin and Justin Burris were the two that played all 56 of those snaps, while Rasul Douglas and Shaq Thompson played 55 of the defensive snaps, and then Trey Boston played 54 of the offensive snaps. And this that's obviously what we've come to expect uh, throughout this season. Those guys playing basically every snap. If they're if they're not playing every snap, they're only missing about one or two snaps. That's been the, you know, they've been the leaders of the defense. And then Derek Brown, or excuse, well, Derek Brown, 44 snaps. Brian Burns, 45 snaps. And it's just great to see Brian Burns just be the absolute stud 
that he is, you know, after what was an up and down rookie season, uh, he's just getting after it. And then Derek Brown continues to play well in uh, an increased role. Troy Pride saw 33 snaps on Sunday. Jermaine Carter played 31. Um, we don't see a number that high, you know, or even percentage-wise, 55%. Don't see a number that high typically for Jermaine Carter. Uh, Marquise Haynes, but, you know, with some of the issues they've had at linebacker, it's allowed Carter to kind of step in and get some more playing time. Marquise Haynes played half of the snaps, 28 of them. Yitor Grossmato saw 27 snaps. Corn Elder, 26. Zach Kerr, 24. Bravion Roy, 22. F.A. Obata, 21. So you just continue to see, you know, the, the backup defensive tackle seeing about, you know, a third between a third and a half of the defensive snaps behind guys like uh, Derek Brown and uh, Yitor Grossmato. So, uh, you know, always good to have capable players like Kerr and Roy that can give uh, some of these other guys a break every now and then. And then there was actually 20 defensive snaps for Stanley Thomas Oliver. That's a name, of course, we hadn't talked about much all season, but it's nice to see him start to see his playing time increase a little more. As I've said before, this is a guy that I'm intrigued to see how he continues to develop, because really this is only his third year playing cornerback. As, as I've mentioned before, he started his college career as a wide receiver and then transitioned to a cornerback but in a very short time became not just one of the top corners and really top defensive players for Florida International, but in the entire conference as well. He was one of the, the top players in general in Conference USA. And so his continued development is going to be something really interesting to watch over uh, you know the rest of the season and over the years. And then 12 snaps for Austin Larkin, and then just a small number, three for Julian Stanford, two for Miles Hartsfield, one for Chris Orr, and then one for uh, Natrell Jamerson. Uh, the notes that the website had for the defensive side of the ball, Justin Burris playing 100% of the snaps, had six tackles and two pass deflections. It marked his first game playing every snap since the rib injury he suffered in week six. Brian Burns played 80% of the snaps and, of course, had a hand, as we know, in Carolina's five sacks. He had uh, two and a half, if I remember correct, two or two and a half, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's averaging about 75% of the defensive snaps. That is eighth among NFL defensive ends this season. Uh, Jermaine Carter, 55% of the snaps at middle linebacker. As Tyre Whitehead, of course, was questionable with the rib injury, was active, but did not play. And, you know, we know the issues that we've seen over the weeks with Whitehead, particularly, of course, the 98-yard touchdown run. So I'm sure he did not have a fun day in the film room uh, that, that Monday morning when he was one of the big culprits of Ronald Jones breaking through for that big touchdown. Uh, then they know a couple of the rookie corners from... From Sunday, Troy Pride Jr. started and played 59% of the snaps. And then Stanley Thomas Oliver played 36%. And then F.A. Obata, a guy we raved about yesterday, one and a half sacks, a tackle for loss, and two quarterback hits in just 21 total snaps. And this is the in 
this is the interesting note here, too. We know Obata hasn't played a whole bunch of snaps, but he has been very effective in the limited snaps that he is playing, and he is currently second on the team now with three and a half sacks. You know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but, um, you know, for a player, a player like him, who, again, doesn't get much playing time, and the fact that the Panthers as a whole just aren't getting to the quarterback. I mean, this is one of the worst teams. You know, we can tell just by watching, this is one of the worst teams in terms of uh, sacking the quarterback. I mean, Sunday was a breakout day for the Panthers, getting to Matthew Stafford five times. You know, in fact, it even increased their sacks per game average up to one and a half, I believe. I think they're now sitting at 16 total sacks on the season in 11 games. Uh, for the record, the league leader or the team leader in sacks this season so far is the Pittsburgh Steelers who have 38 sacks this season. And like I said, the Panthers have 16. So uh, some interesting notes there, but you know, again, credit Obada for everything that he has done so far. So really excited to see him continue to roll through. So that's the snap count from Sunday. Uh, I want to take a look at some of uh, some of the other numbers, particularly like uh, Pro Football Focus. Look at some of their grades, uh, at least up to this point for the season, just to kind of see where teams rank now that we're back in with PFF. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Axon Taser, who are all about you know protecting your family. You know, I personally. You know, I'm obviously all for protecting my family as well. And I want to do it safely. And that's why the people at Taser believe that safer self-defense is better self-defense. Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or your purse. Yet they're powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. Guns carry unnecessary risks for you and those around you, and even pepper spray can harm you as much as an attacker, and it's often ineffective. Taser products are safer and easy to use. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, which allows you valuable time to escape and send emergency dispatch to your GPS location. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting, and emergency dispatch, which will send response teams to your GPS location upon firing. More than 237,000 lives have been saved with the tasered network of devices, apps, and personnel. And now you can own a taser, the number one choice of law enforcement agencies. Protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. Get the Taser Pulse Plus or Taser Strike Light at taser.com with promo code NFL. Save 15% now at taser.com promo code NFL. That's spelled T-A-S-E-R dot com promo code NFL. Restrictions do apply. See site for details. Let's hit up our friends now at Pro Football Focus and kind of look now at where some of these players stand in terms of uh, some of their grades and their standing in terms of uh, their 
respective positions. And, you know, they've actually got some players that are doing pretty well in terms of some of their positions. And some, we'd act, I'm actually a little surprised to see kind of where they stand. So we'll start with the offensive side of the football. And we'll start with Teddy Bridgewater. Because, of course, Philip Walker's only played one game. So he hasn't qualified for PFF grades. There are 39 qualified quarterbacks. And Teddy Bridgewater currently ranks 26th among those 39 quarterbacks with a 69.2 overall offensive grade. In fact, a lot of his numbers are in the 60s. So PFF, I guess, not as big as Teddy Bridgewater as some might think. You know, So he is kind of in that bottom tier uh, with, again, 60s kind of across the board. 67.4 passing grade, 66.1 run grade. Uh, again, overall 69.2. In fact, they gave Philip Walker a 58.3. At least that's his overall season total. So PFF, I guess, isn't too high on the uh, the quarterback situation for Carolina, at least in terms of the play this season. Uh, but their wide receivers have done pretty well. PFF is pretty, pretty solid on uh, the wide receivers. In fact, all three of the main guys do rank in the top 50 among wide receivers so far, the highest right now is Robbie Anderson, a 76.8 overall grade. He comes in 27th out of 123 qualified wide receivers, followed by DJ Moore, 33rd with a 75 grade. And then Curtis Samuel is 47th at 72.3. At the running back position... Very solid grades for both running backs, even though Christian McCaffrey has been obviously very limited this season, really has only played three games. He still has a grade of 76 from PFF, and he actually still ranks 15th out of 63 qualified running backs. So it just shows uh, what Christian McCaffrey can do. But Mike Davis actually has a higher PFF grade, interestingly enough, than Christian McCaffrey. He has a 77.4 grade, which is actually good for 12th out of 63. So all of a sudden, as we've come to see over the last few weeks, Carolina now has a solid duo at the running back position. Uh, they gave him a, a 75.8 grade. 75.8 grade in terms of um, running the ball, 75 in receiving, and even an 85.8 grade in run blocking. Now, he does only have a 52.7 in pass blocking, but that's, you know, that was never really his game. So, but, so all told, Panthers have, P uh, have two of PFF's top 15 running backs at this point of the season. So, not too shabby. Uh, Alex Arma has only a 57.6 overall offensive grade from PFF. And in fact, there's only 13 qualified fullbacks in the NFL. And Alex Arma actually comes in eighth out of those 13 fullbacks, which is, you know, rather interesting. But, you know, Alex Arma, he's been... He's just been kind of there, you know, nothing special, but he, you know, it's his blocking ability. It's a special teams ability. That's really what's helped him kind of carve out uh, 
the role that he's had over these last couple of seasons since you know being a sixth round pick of course and even just being able to stick with the uh with the new coaching staff uh but at least he's better than a few fullbacks um the tight end position has not been kind to the Carolina Panthers if you ask PFF and this will probably not come as much of a shock because of how quiet these <laughs> that position has been this season but there are 69 qualified tight ends so far in PFF and Chris Manhurts is currently 62nd out of 69 with a 53 grade and if you thought that was bad, just wait for this. There is only one tight end that is graded worse than Ian Thomas in 2020. Let me say that again. And it kind of hurts me because you guys know that I've been a pretty big fan of Ian Thomas. But out of 69 qualified tight ends on Pro Football Focus, Ian Thomas is only better than one tight end. And that is... I'm actually looking that up right now. The As Ian Thomas is 68th out of 69. Uh, so as we scroll down here, the only one that he is better than is actually Luke Stalker of the Atlanta Falcons with a 42.3 grade. Um, just for funsies, some of the names that Ian Thomas is below, you know, and some of the qualified guys, Nick Kaiser of Kansas City. Yes, they do actually have tight ends other than Travis Kelsey, and they are ranked higher than Ian Thomas. Um, Ryan Izzo of the Patriots, James O'Shaughnessy of the Jaguars, Ryan Griffin of the Jets, um, the off-injured... Jack, uh, Tyler Eifert of the Jaguars, Jeff Swaim of the Titans, Ross Dwelly of the 49ers. These are names that you obviously aren't household names at the tight end position that have a better PFF grade than Ian Thomas. So, yeah, that's something. But here's a number that might surprise you in a pleasantly surprising way. Matt Paradis is actually 11th out of 37 with a 70 offensive grade. I would have never thought that. That Matt Paradis is actually among the top half of the centers in the NFL uh, from Pro Football Focus. But that's exactly what he is. Uh, but Chris Reed is actually 60. We look at the two guards now. Chris Reed is actually 63rd out of 83 with a 56.9 grade. John Miller is more in the middle, 46th out of 83, and we'll just kind of skim through these so we don't waste, you know, don't take up too much more time. Uh, but John Miller has a grade of 62. That's 46th out of 83. And then among the qualified tackles, and the Panthers actually have three such because Trent Scott's played, I guess, enough snaps. He's 51st out of 77 with a 63.5 grade. Taylor Moten, 13th out of 77. 80.4, and then Russell Okung is a 75.5. That's 27th out of 77. And then just real quick, defensive side of the ball, these numbers are not good. Uh, the first number that pops out at me is Jeremy Chin. For as much as we've been praising the guy, PFF only gives him a grade of 54 
which is 72nd out of 90. In fact, Sam Franklin has a higher grade among qualified players than Jeremy Chin. Sam Franklin is actually 71st among the 90 safeties. Justin Burris is the highest among the Panthers' safeties, but he still comes in at 68th with a 55.2. And this might upset a lot of you guys to hear this number, but Trey Boston, out of 90 qualified safeties on PFF, Trey Boston is 84th with a 47.4 grade. I'll let that sink into you guys for a moment. Among the quarterback or cornerbacks, real quick, Corn Elder, 19th out of 125. How about that? A 71.3 grade. Rasul Douglas is 48th among the 125 corners with a 62.3. Dante Jackson is 70th with a 56.4. And then Troy Pride has just a 34.9 PFF grade. That comes in at 123rd out of 125. Uh, among the linebackers, uh, Shaq Thompson is 43rd out of 86 with a 51.4. In fact, they only have two linebackers that are qualified on PFF. Tahir Whitehead is the only other one, and this probably won't come as a surprise. He has a grade of 28.8. That is 84th out of 86. Yes, there are two linebackers, according to Pro Football Focus, that have a uh, have a worse grade than Tyre Whitehead, and those two, just for the heck of it, as we check, as I double check here real quick, the only two linebackers with worse grades than Tyre Whitehead are surprise. One of these is surprising. Because we thought he'd be a lot better this season. Or there was a lot of love for this pick in the draft. It's first round rookie Patrick Queen of the Ravens, 27.7. And then Elandon Roberts of the Dolphins, 27.3. And then among the defensive linemen, uh, F.A. Obata, 60th out of 128. Bravion Roy, 111th out of 128. Uh, Derek Brown, 89th. And Zach Kerr, actually 23rd. At a 75.7. And then out of 107 edge players, the three that are qualified in their rankings, Stephen Weatherly is actually 97th, or excuse me, 92nd out of 107. Marquise Haynes, 97th out of 107. But Brian Burns, 89.83.9 grade. That is number six among all their qualified edge defenders the only five that brian burns is not ahead of tj watt khalil mack demarcus lawrence joey bosa and miles garrett so a great great season for brian burns so far so that's where the panthers stand in terms of uh pff pff's grade at least in terms of the qualified position or qualified players not necessarily naming the unqualified players just looking at the qualified players and then just real quick for fun well before we wrap it up here before i talk about the dvoa i do want to shout out our friends quick as well builtgo.com our friends over there that 
want to be the solution to you guys breaking through your wall, whether it's a mental wall, whether it's a physical wall, break through it with Go every day. They come in easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase. You could take it to the golf course with you or just put it in your pocket just to help you get through the day. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like having that uh, five-hour energy but not having to worry about that crash feeling later. And it's natural, which means it's better for the body. And it's like drinking a monster drink with only a third of the caffeine and better results. And it comes in three delicious flavors like peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. It, of course, combines energy gel with collagen protein, which is fast absorbing. That means it gets into my system fast and it's easy on the stomach. Loaded with good stuff to ignite my work, such as uh, beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And then it gives me 10% of my daily percentage of B12 and also has vitamin B6 which uh, helps promote joint, soft tissue, and hair and skin health, which is stuff that literally makes you look better. So visit uh, BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, and you will get 20% off your next order. So again, promo code LOCKED, 20% off at BuiltGo.com. So like I said, just real quick, uh, I want to mention the DVOA numbers here uh for the Carolina Panthers just out of just out of interest here so just to give you guys a quick idea how football outsiders kind of sees the Carolina Panthers their total DVOA is 1.7% which actually ranks them 17th in the league they're actually the lowest positive score because then the team right behind them is the Chicago Bears who are at a negative 0.4%. And pretty much a lot of their numbers are mostly in the uh, the middle of the road here. So Football Outsiders basically has the Panthers as kind of a, a middling team. They're 13th in the offensive DVOA at a 5.9% and 19th in defensive DVOA at a 6.3%. And of course, as we know, or if you guys aren't familiar with DVOA, that's their defensive adjusted value over average, which breaks down every single NFL play and then compares a team's performance to a league baseline based on situation in order to determine uh, their value over average. So their offense and defense DVOA is adjusted based on strength of schedule or strength of opponent, as well as to consider all fumbles kept or lost as equal value and then they also add in things like uh estimated wins and uh and things like that so right now they're estimating the panthers um actually 18th in that they're estimating them at at about five wins which i think at this point is where we're starting to expect the panthers is to end up five and eleven i mean you look at the rest of the schedule um you're only you're probably only looking at possible wins now over the Denver Broncos in week 14 and the Washington football team in week 16 because probably they're obviously going to be underdogs and we probably expect them to lose on Sunday they're probably going to lose to the Packers in week 15 and they're probably going to lose to the Saints in week 17 but um if they do happen but at least if they do happen to win those two games, that would at least put them over five wins, right? That would put them at six wins. 
uh, but it would still be, you know, unfortunately a double digit season. So six and 10, probably the, the, the ceiling now for this team, which of course is where a lot of us kind of projected this team to be. Um, and then we started talking to them as, as maybe a playoff team. So they certainly gave us a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but we, yes, we can kind of see that the Panthers are sort of a, a middling team.